Yes, I'll do it, Dad. <laughs> Boy, this intersection is dangerous. Someone ought to put a stop sign here. <gasps> oh, Homer, how could you think of killing yourself? We love you. Yeah, Daddy, yeah. we love you. Kill myself? Killing myself is the last thing I'd ever do. Now I have a purpose, a reason to live. I don't care who I have to face. I don't care who I have to fight. I will not rest. Until the street gets a stop sign! Four finger discount, dude! Welcome to Four Figure Discount Revisited. Yes, we go all the way back to the golden era of The Simpsons, where I've already been here once with Mitch. But now everyone wants to hear Guy's perspective. We're here to do episode <laughs> three of 7G03, Homer's Odyssey. A title that I hold very dear to my heart because it's a title of the book that we released four years ago now, or three and a half years ago, Homer's Odyssey in the Biggest Simpsons Guide. But yes, Homer's Odyssey, we're here to review it. I am Dando. I am the aforementioned Guy here to talk about Homer's Odyssey, the book that I had no hand in and get no royalties from. Why are we even talking about it? No. <laughs> we should go around and um, just scribble your name into like the, the book in every bookstore in, in, in Geelong. <laughs> be like, um, I'll be like Homer in this episode, sort of knocking on every door and say, do you have a copy of Homer's Odyssey? <laughs> Getting just doors slammed in the face. Greetings, friend. Do you wish to be as happy as me? <laughs> but yeah, so Homer's Odyssey. This is one of my least favorite episodes of all time. I've made that aware on did, numerous occasions. Did I you mean, say it's, least, it's just least favorite? One of my least favorite in the sense that I just feel it's not very funny. Um, it, it's a very season one episode in that, you know, they hadn't worked out which character was going to be what. You know, the characters weren't quite developed yet. But I just think as an episode, I give it credit because it tackles the, the issue of suicide. And to do that in episode three of a new series, that took some serious balls. But I don't think the suicide angle was earned enough. Uh, and it sort of makes, makes Homer come across almost like a terrible father because, okay, he loses his job. It's an accident. He tries to look for a job for a week. He can't find one. And all of a sudden, he's going to leave his family in the lurch. I mean, he, he says, you'll be better off without me. I don't think they will, mate. I think you just need to get up there and just go find a new job. And then what, what happens with the episode is that Homer tries to commit suicide and then bang, all of a sudden, because there was no sign at, at, the, um, at the street, he now has a new lease on life and he wants to create signs. And the whole last five minutes of the episode where he's just making signs just isn't funny but it what it is it's a pivotal episode in that it sets up homer becoming the safety inspector of the power plant because if you started watching the show after season one you would always think to yourself how on earth could this bumbling fool become the safety inspector of the power plant well this explains how true but there is a long and proud tradition of sitcoms of um doofuses and goof-offs uh, failing upwards into positions that they are completely unqualified for and therein lies the joke. Look, I, I certainly get where you're coming from, Dando, in terms of the fact that this isn't uh, especially funny. I, I, th I think I disagree with you on the point about... May maybe not disagree with you, but the whole thing about... Um, you know, sort of Homer reaching rock bottom and feeling like his family would be better off without him. I'm not a, a qualified expert on self-harm or suicide or anything like that. Certainly not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything along those lines. But, you know, I think I have been depressed to a degree where you... And I think a lot of people have felt like this, where you're sort of at a stage where it's like, 
really, I'm not contributing anything to the um, to the greater scheme of things here. Yeah, you know, not that I would check out or anything like that, but you do have those feelings of like, what's the point? Why, you know, I'm not helping anyone. And um, yeah, but, but 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 that's not that you don't get to that point after a week. I, I think, as the saying goes, your mileage may vary. Uh, look, I'm. I'm and don't forget, we're we're also dealing with a half hour episode of a um of a sitcom here. <laughs> Admittedly, mm. I think, and that sort of leads into the other thing I wanted to talk about. You're right; it's not especially funny. Although I think all the lead up to um to Homer losing his job, all the stuff with the uh, with the field trip and all that, you know, the stuff on the school bus, I actually find I find it kind of amusing, but I also find it really sort of flavorful and eventful there's a lot going on and it really sort of draws you into not just the uh, the life of the simpsons family particularly bart but um also springfield in general i mean what we're three episodes into the show here and look this is probably because you know we've all been watching the show for what three decades and change some of us <laughs> but uh yeah it made me feel like wow this is a place that's fully fleshed out this is a you know, the guys making the show, the people making the show have clearly thought about what they want this place to be, how they want it to feel, how they want it to be inhabited, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that's pretty impressive for three episodes in. It, it shows a great deal of sort of confidence and bravura, 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 <laughs> bravery, I don't know, on the... Um, <laughs> Serious balls. France, <laughs> on the um, on the part of the showrunners and the show makers that... Um, yeah, three episodes into this animated quote-unquote comedy or sitcom, uh, they're doing an episode where the head of the family is kind of like, nah, I suck, I'm jumping off a bridge. It's like, <laughs> if you stick around, you're either, you know, you're, you're there for the whole ride. <laughs> I mean, you, you could probably say, oh, I don't think I want to watch this. And, you know, you would be a lesser person as a result, or you would be you would um, have less enjoyment as in your life as a result. But uh, no, I'm fairly impressed with uh, with what they did with it. I, would, I, I think you're right. It's not the funniest episode and it's not the most fun episode, but I found myself enjoying it and kind of admiring it as a result. You've got, yeah, you've got to look at this in the mindset of, okay, I might not get a few laughs here, but the story itself, the only thing is... I was just getting season 13 vibes of this because we're, as we record this in the midst of season 13, doing the reviews for the for the normal show. And very often in the later episodes, we've found they do an episode and they get to the last five or six minutes and go, now what? And they just throw it out the window. Mm-hmm. This one feels very much like that. It's like Homer's, the, the basis of the episode is Homer's struggling to come to terms with the fact that he's lost his job. He needs to find a new you know, purpose. And I know his new purpose is the road signs, but... Then all of a sudden, he has a big crowd of people who love him and stuff. And mm. then, like, the whole final speech where he was just like, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving you. I'm like, what the f- <laughs> What? Oh, it, just, it just felt very... As you pointed out, it's 22 minutes of television. So, there's a lot to try and cram in here. But I just don't feel like the suicide and the crowd gathering for home and all that, there wasn't enough leading up to that to for that to feel earned. Yeah. But... It's only episode three of the series. So for the for them to tackle an issue, like I said, of, of suicide and mental health and things like that, which are still just as relevant today as ever before, I'm glad people are now more open to talking about it. Uh, I think it took, as you put before, bravery, serious balls for the showmakers to, particularly for a, 
for a kid's show too. To incorporate the fact that the father of the family is going to commit suicide on a kid's show, mm. that's that's a that's a that's a pretty big gamble for a new show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I agree with what you mentioned there about, you know, they've got twenty two minutes. I think you could probably fit everything that they do in this episode into those twenty two minutes and do it well, but I don't think they use them effectively. It's kind of like you drag this bit out, then you switch that bit in, and then you've got this, and then you've got that, and then yeah, it's like um, it doesn't. It all it it's everything that has to be there is there, but it doesn't exactly flow that well. And you could have spent a bit longer on this part and a bit less on that part, and it would have flowed a bit more effectively. Everything would have sort of made not just storytelling sense, but emotional sense, I think. So, um, yeah, look, that would be my, my problem with But Particularly, as you pointed out, when we get to that sort of end part, you know, the final, I guess, third of this episode feels very, very sort of rushed. And yeah, that's the thing. It, it felt very season 13 where they just sort of cram an extra story into the end because they couldn't figure out a way to make the main story last yeah, for 22 it, minutes. But, but but at least it ties into the main story. Though. It's, it's like his new purpose. It does. And I mean, look, I think the more sort of egregious uh, endings of uh, season 13 and maybe even season 12 as well. Yeah. What's that? The, the computer world men of shoes. You know what they do? The prisoner? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's well, yeah. That that's its own. <laughs> that's its own big problem. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't think this um has an ending that feels kind of tossed off or wrong. I mean, I think the ending for this is pretty correct, but I just feel like it's um. Yeah, just the timing and the pacing and the amount of time dedicated to various story beats and story sequences feels a little bit off so yeah yeah, yeah I, I like what's in this episode I don't like how they put it I don't necessarily like how they put it into this episode they're, they're, they're still finding their feet you know they, oh the show yeah when they yeah. made this the show hadn't even gone to air yet. they didn't even know what was going to work and what wasn't true so. and one other thing that I think they do really well here I don't know how you feel about that but I get the feeling you know in the times that we've been talking about the Simpsons you're a big fan of when they operate as a family you know they're, yep. they're at each other's throats and you know they'll they'll uh, slight each other and insult each other and sometimes assault each other, but generally there's a core of love and even respect there. And there are so many there are so many bits and pieces throughout this episode where it's kind of like, oh wow, I mean they really do, and especially they care about Homer when he's in a bad place. I mean the fact that you know. They've made him a, a cake that says, don't worry, Dad, we love you anyway. Or Yeah, I, I really I mean, like that, actually. Yeah, yeah. and even, even Marge saying something like, we believe in you, Homer. It's like, oh, you know, normally that's, that's a bit sort of cheesy or a bit naff, but maybe it's the affection that we have for these characters. Maybe it's just that Julie Kavner's got a lovely voice and you'd love to hear her say she believes in you. I think that'd be really nice. I think, you know, if, if Julie Kavner wanted to start doing cameos... You know, and just I know you got your big exam today, sport. Guess what? I believe in you. Yeah, you'd get an A plus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not with Julie Kavner's current voice, but uh, oh yeah, sorry, not, not great anymore. But sorry, yeah. Julie. Poor Julie. Poor, <laughs> poor Julie. Indeed. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I, I generally enjoyed um, enjoyed a lot of this episode. Yeah, it, it's got its problems, in, mainly in terms of structure, but everything that's in it. It's a it's a terrific present, poorly packed and wrapped. Let's put it that way. I was thought it was very interesting. Mr. Burns makes his first prominent appearance in this episode. Um, I'm not sure whether we even saw him in the part 
pilot, did we? I think we just heard his voice over the speaker. If this is the first time, yeah, look, there's a, it's, this is a very different C. Montgomery Burns. I mean, not hugely different, but, you know, the, the one time, well, the first time that we encounter him, certainly his voice is a lot deeper, has a lot more authority. Um, well, do, like, you know, do you know why? Tell me why. Because it, it wasn't voiced by Harry in this episode. It was voiced by Christopher Collins. Oh. Who, who proved to be too difficult to work with, so they asked him off and got Harry to do it instead. Oh, okay then. Well, Christopher Collins' loss is our gain, but I mean, I think Mr. Collins did a um, a fine job. And I, I'll tell you what, it makes me appreciate Harry a lot more as well, because I think he saw what uh, what the late... <laughs> not the late Mr. Collins, he's probably still with us. No, Chris, it says here Christopher Collins was, which means he's no longer with us. Okay then, well, I think uh, Harry clearly heard what Christopher Collins was doing with Mr. Burns and sort of replicated it to some degree, but also changed it a bit and made it a little more comedic because honestly, he's very, he's, he's very threatening. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so that, that first shot where he's just sort of menacingly looking over the crowd. Yeah, it's really well done, mm. really well directed. But yeah. we also, it's the first one where we get Smithers as well. And this is what everyone refers to as black, ha- uh, black Smithers with blue hair. So this was, <laughs> Blithers. Th- this, yeah, this was an accident by the animation department. It was never intended to be black. Uh, David Silverman, the you know acclaimed director, uh, who we all love here at the show, he mentioned that you know we would never ever ever want Mr. Burns's servant, so to speak, or you know personal assistant to be African American because that would be a, not the kind of thing you'd want on television in 1990. It would just be it would come across very very negatively. So uh, they quickly fixed that and they put it down to simply Smithers had a tan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also get the first appearance of Blinky the Three-Eyed Fish in this one when Smithers tells all the kids to look outside the window as well as Otto Man, Chief Wiggum, Jasper Beardley, the uh, grandpa's old friend, Sam mm-hmm. and Larry, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Winfield and Sherry and Terry. They all make their first appearances here. But um, yeah, so it, like as, as you mentioned already by season, uh, by episode three of the series, Springfield's already being fleshed out. You know, the, the bus driver of the school's getting his moment. Uh, yeah. just just things like that, like uh, you know, Smithers, the assistant to the boss of the power plant. All these characters are just like, oh, it's it's the show's only just started. We're already getting all these guys. Okay, cool. You know, even yeah. Wendell's getting a, a spot. It's it's all that. There's just so much to this town, and yeah, they obviously mm. had a, a long term plan in mind from the get go. But we uh we've said what we did like about the about the episode, what we did like. Let's get into our favorite moments. Hey, my favorite. So what do you like most about this episode, Mr. Davis? Well, let's see. I mean, um, I already mentioned the don't worry, Dad, we love you already. Um, anyway, cake, I thought that was very sweet, as was the believe in you, Homer, uh, comment from, from Marge. Um, look, it's, it's a blackly funny gag, but um, Homer carrying his suicide rock mm. all, all the way to the bridge, oh, nothing's easy. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> You, really, could have really found like- a, you could have found a good-sized boulder there, I'm sure, sir. But um, I think my favourite part um, of this episode is a character that I don't think we ever saw again, much to our detriment, uh, Smile and Joe Fishin. I believe he has appeared later on, but yes, this is the first appearance. And he doesn't appear all that often. I think he's appeared in a couple of other, like... Uh, um, uh, videos oh, um, on the show like when they're watching an old-fashioned yeah. film or whatever, but yeah, Smile and Joe Fishin, what a what a mascot, eh? Indeed, I I will not deny that I went on um, 
redbubble.com.au and looked up Smile and Joe Fishin' T-shirt. Um, eh, it's, not, it's not quite the design that I'd want, so I'm not going to get one. But um, under different circumstances, I would probably wear a Smile and Joe Fishin' T-shirt. I like that little, uh, that little logo. Oh, he appears in your favourite episode, The Last Temptation of Homer. Smile and Joe. Oh, yeah. there we go. Do you love that episode <laughs> for a reason? <laughs> what I, did I, you enjoy? I really enjoyed it. You mentioned Homer with the with the boulder. I like the fact that a he stops to fix the greasy gate, uh, the squeaky gate. Sorry, with the grease. Yeah. Um. You know, still trying to help the family on the way out, but also the fact that he was annoyed that he almost got hit by a car, even though he's going to kill, kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> but you touched on it earlier. The opening act where the kids are all getting ready to go on their field trip. I thought it was really funny. I, th- I really dug the Bart and Mrs. K angle. You know, just the teacher mm. versus student. Bart's clearly the brat. But he's just, he's not being overly naughty. He's just being mischief- mischievous, no. you know what I mean? And Look, he, yeah, he'd probably be diagnosed with ADHD now yeah, or something yeah, like exactly, that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I just love the, I didn't love it, but I thought it was quite funny. You know, don't put your hands out the window because the boy lost his arm. Oh, yeah. And I was that boy. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Just Everyone knows that. someone who has pulled a gag like that or been the person who's pulled a gag like that. You know, you've you've seen the opening, you're like, oh, I've got to go for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> No one else is going for it? Okay, it's mine. I'm, I'm yeah. taking it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you you know you're probably you're either going to get sit down, shut up, or see me after class or something along those lines. But it's like, you know what? Worth it. Because, you know, 20 years down the line at some re- high school reunion or something, someone's going to go, Oh, remember that time that Davo, you know, got up and said, and that boy was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone pisses up, like, yeah, Davo, good on you, mate. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I, I like that bit a lot. I also really liked, Mrs. K, I didn't unlock that door. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. You there, eating the paste. All right, it is Trivia for Homer's Odyssey. First question from myself. What is the song that Mrs. K gets Bart to sing for being naughty? Oh, it's uh, is it the is it the ballad of John Henry? There was a steel driving man. Yep. Yes, I'm not sure. The uh, it's the story of John Henry. I'm not sure if it's the ballad or the saga, but it's about John Henry, the steel driving man. Yes. Uh, how great was it? How oh, we'll, we'll get to it. I'll discuss that a bit later. But yeah, that, you got that correct. That was the answer to that question. Well done, sir. One point to you. A question for you, Dando. According to Otto Man, uh, how old could Bart be when he can get a tattoo? I want to say 14. And you would be correct in saying oh, so. Awesome. Was it either 14 or 12? I don't know why I had 12 in my mind as well. Okay. <laughs> this is the episode where we get one of the most iconic recurring gags for The Simpsons for the Golden Era. It is the prank calls. What is the first fake name that Bart gives to Mo? Is it IP Freely? IP Freely. Yes, it certainly mm. is. <laughs> now, um, I only have three questions, so I've got two more after this. Yeah, or, go for or it. This Hit one me. and one more. So um, Lisa tries to, I believe it's Lisa, tries to cheer her father up with a sandwich by saying it's got what on it? Oh. oh you've got me. What is it? It's got mustard on it. Duh. Course far out. Mustard goes with everything. I, I love mustard. I don't have butter. I have mustard instead of butter. Oh, mustard is an absolute delight. <laughs> so so good. But what type of mustard though? See, I'm if I'm having a burger, I generally go for American mild mustard, the yellow mm-hmm. stuff. But if I'm just having a standard salad sandwich or whatever, I got the whole grain mustard. Whole grain mustard is my jam 
Or if I'm having some chips, I get the the Dijon mustard, I think it's called. Dijon it indeed, yes. Yeah, have yeah. Any- so that, that they're my, my trifecta of mustards. What about yourself? Do you have any gris poupon? Um, uh, usually Dijon, if I'm having like a ham sandwich or something along those lines. Um, I like a bit of hot English if I'm having some roast beef or steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do like the um, toxic uh, American yellow stuff if I am cooking up a couple of snags on Saturday morning and whack him in bread. You reckon, you reckon it's bad for you? My, oh, no, but it sort of looks... It doesn't look natural. Oh, it doesn't. No, no, no. It looks like the pink stuff that you used to think was in chicken nuggets before they debunked that. You know, have you ever seen that video <laughs> where they, it's like, this is what's in chicken nuggets and it's just big green, uh, sorry, big pink slop. Have you ever seen that video? I have seen that video and my response to it was, eh. I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't care. They taste great. <laughs> my next question is, where did Homer get his first sign placed? Oh. The corner um, of what? Oh, it's it's two streets at this intersection. Ah, no, I don't know. I don't know. I D do Street know. and Twelfth. Hmm. Okay then. And my my final question to mm-hmm. you is: uh, there is a a series of newspaper headlines, uh, big upping Homer for all his good work. What does the final one say? I really liked it. Enough already, Homer Simpson. <laughs> Enough already, Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, very funny. My final question is, once they grant Homer his wish to have the sign placed on D Street and 12th, what do they say is waiting for people out in the um, in the foyer? Just outside oh. the room. They said there's something waiting for us out in the, in the cafeteria or something like that. Oh. and It's, it's, a, it's it, a type of beverage and a type of food. Um, I'll... Not coffee and bear claws, is it? Oh, as well as coffee, that's one. Yeah, so half a point. Cinnamon rolls. Um. Well, they are called. They say maple logs. Oh, maple. Oh, okay. Hmm. But what's what's a maple log? Oh, I'm assuming it's got like um, maple syrup in it. You know those. You know those ones are like roll roll ups. Not roll ups, but um. Uh, I've just googled it. Yeah, it's, it's like you just rolled it up into like a yeah okay like a like yeah, a and it's probably roll, full of like, like a, a sausage roll cake. <laughs> Yes, and it looks like it's, pr- it's probably full of like a maple syrupy cream or something. Yeah. Ooh, it sounds good. Delicious. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of, uh, I, I, I will eat that kind of stuff, but I like chocolate eclairs with the, it's got to have the custard inside. I'm, like I love profiteroles and chocolate eclairs. What about yourself? What's your <laughs> dessert of choice? If you, the last dessert you're ever going to eat, you have a selection of one thing, what is it? Um, It's banoffee pie. I think you may have mentioned this actually recently, yeah. But if you pie, I have indeed. You had some recently, yes. didn't you? The the well, not for. I, I can't remember the last time I actually had it, but uh, I <laughs> I was at sort of a, a relatively snooty kind of country club establishment, and they had uh, banoffee pie on the dessert menu. I'm like, yes, I'll certainly try some of that. And oh, I mean, I I probably would have got thrown out for the orgasmic sounds I was making. I was, I was like. Oh. <laughs> now, that's, oh, now that soundbite's going to be used by the patrons for some videos. <laughs> it's all yours, kids. <laughs> um, but uh, today, in good news, I discovered that uh, the fine folks at Tim Tam are releasing one of their um, sort of special, mm. uh, you know, limited edition flavors, and it is dark chocolate and banoffee. Oh, chocolate. you must have been so excited! I was absolutely stoked. Went to Facebook and said. <laughs> Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, put up the put up the notification. Said I'm never having abs, am I? <laughs> but the thing is, they make Tim Tam so cheap now. 
It's like two dollars. Oh for yeah, a tray of them. How Absolutely. can you possibly resist? Have you ever done the? I know this is a little bit off topic. We'll get back to it in a minute, listeners. But Nicola, she like bites the corner off a Tim Tam and then like sucks her coffee through it. You ever heard of this? This is called the Tim Tam Slam. Yes, um, she loves I it. I think I've, I may have done it once. I just thought, uh, look, it's a taste sensation to be sure. But at the same time, it's not something you want to do every time because, you know, you'll start losing the novelty. Also, it can be a little messy if you don't do it right. So um, I save that one for very special occasions. But I, yes, I have done the Tim Tam Slam. Uh, it's I, funny you I mention am, that because uh, but Nicola, I, remember I am an Australian tell me, I remember Nicola telling me it was called Tim Tam Slam. And I couldn't help but say, come on and slam, and welcome to the Tam. <laughs> 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 oh, man. But yes, what were you going to say? Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I think you've, you've, you've said it all. You've said all that needs to be said. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is trivia for Homer's Odyssey. We'll be right back with our full in-depth revisited review of Homer's Odyssey after the short break. Four Figure Discount is brought to you by our incredible $20 patrons. Bella Winderbank, KDG, Jordan Bowman, Richie, Nick Barbaro, Andrew Zer, Christopher Darby, Chris Malion, Will Manthorpe, Ben Smith, Noah Daniel, Matt Thompson, Mark Boston Burgess, Alex Rodriguez, Tom Pickering, Kane Von Nagy, Sean Davey, Keith Nedham, Sam Bennett, Timothy Belson, Brandon Twitchell, Nick James Bitch, Cal McDonald, Shannon Hofer, George McMenemy, Zach Pruitt, Jonathan Rossi, Adam Sanderson, Stephen Roberts, Daniel Kotnick, Ali Jamie, the Connie June fucking Richards, Matthew Davis, and David Stewart, absolute dead set legends. To get real Aussie there for you guys. Also, share that to our new $5 plus patrons this week. We have Ben Petrilla, Lauren McLean, Nora Cocker, and Josh Hedge have upgraded their pledges. Thank you so much, guys. Also, share that to James Garrett and Aaron Thorpe. Absolute legends. Love each and every one of you. Don't forget, if you want to get access to a bunch of exclusive content and support the show in return, where we can bring you more and more podcasts each and every week, just going to go to patreon.com slash discount. But for now, enjoy our review of Homer's Odyssey. The original air date of Homer's Odyssey was all the way back in January of 1990, January 21st, to be exact. Oh, wow. Yes, oh. it was a long time we ago. embracing the 90s. Wow, it was a, it was a fun new... Exciting era. Mm. There's just something about the. I actually pulled out because I was cleaning out the um the garage uh, yesterday, and I had all my old Simpsons VHS there, and I've got the old VH, uh, VHS player and the TV set up, and I thought, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll just pull one of these old tapes out. And there's just something about the look of early 1990 Simpsons that just brings so many nostalgic feels to me. It was just you. You, you can tell just by looking at the design that it was right in the midst of. Bartmania, you know what I mean? And mm. I don't think you'll ever be able to replicate that with a TV show now, where a TV show just takes the world by storm. When's the last time you can recall that happening? Oh, golly. Where, where, it's, mean, where um, it's like a pop culture shift due to a new show. Yeah, that's... um. Oh, golly, that is very hard to come up with. I mean... You've got ones that certainly... Like Game of Thrones you know, was, was big. Game of Thrones is something like that, but that you know, I think that took a little while for the momentum to build. I think um, you know, there were certainly people who were on, you know, on the train from the very beginning, but then I think word of mouth started to gather and you know, by the end of season one, everyone was like, whew, Game of Thrones. And I think HBO has been trying to chase that ever since at things like Westworld and all that kind of stuff. They're trying to you know, sort of get that hype from the, uh, from the very, very beginning. Um I think you'd probably have to go back to maybe something like Friends or ER, even. Mm, I think, okay. 
you sort of had the shift to prestige TV, and particularly on pay TV or cable TV, and that was sort of at the end of the um, end of the nineties and start of the two thousands when you had things like The Sopranos and Sex and the City and Six Feet Under and all that kind of stuff. And you still had, of course, hits on um, on regular TV. There, I mean, I think The Big Bang Theory was probably as popular as Friends, but not from the beginning, did- though. But see, it, yeah, for, 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 for Friends wasn't all that popular from the beginning anyway, though. It was like season two when it really took off, I think. Okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any sort of recent shows that have really done that, and I don't know if there are that many. Yeah, maybe The Walking Dead. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose there's one or two on Netflix as well that might do that, but... Uh, yeah, the, 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 but Bartomania was just... It was almost like a time where... It came out at the same time as when Nirvana really hit it big and the, like just the world was changing. You know, the world was ready for something different. You know, Fox came around a bit dirtier, grittier TV, and married with mm. children, a bit raunchier. The Simpsons was this crude, rude animated show. Nirvana were bringing grunge music to the to the to the mainstream. It was just a different time. Different time, mate. Yeah. Anyway, so January twenty first, nineteen ninety, Homer's Odyssey. Uh directed by Wes Archer. A great director, long-time director of The Simpsons. Still works for the show, I believe. Written by Jay Kogan and Wally Wolodarski. I always love that name. Wallace Wolodarski. They were <laughs> J- Jay and Wally were a, a writing duo. They always wrote together, mm. I believe. Well, Wally Wolodarski is um, he he shows up in a lot of uh, a lot of movies by my main man Wes Anderson. Really? You know, he, yeah, he's got supporting roles in a few of them. He's in Darjeeling Limited. I think he does a voice in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Wow. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's um he's become sort of part of uh, Wes Anderson's repertory crew of players. It's uh it's really neat. I've just um Wikipedia him here. Yeah, he's in a few um CGI films as voices of one Fantastic Mr. Fox, Monsters vs. Aliens. Uh, he's in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah, he's in a few things. Pretty good. Um, mm. but anyway, so and they wrote the episode. The chalk gag was I will not skateboard in the halls, and the couch gag was the family simply jumping onto the couch, and it just falls mm. apart around them. It's, it, this couch ain't big enough for all of them. It certainly isn't. So the episode kicks off with the kids all waiting at the bus at the front of the school, waiting for their field trip. And from the get-go, you can just tell that you know Bart is the the little rebel. Yes, he's not bad, but he's the bad boy. Yeah, he's the bad. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, he's, he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's, he's, not, he's not hurting anybody. He's not being mean or anything. He's just naughty. Yeah. No, although he, you know, he's responsible for a little defacing of property because we do see the first El Bato. That is uh, right. Graffiti. And he, he also did uh, write. Uh, I am a wiener in Bart the Genius. <laughs> so Otto arrives and shows off his new tattoo. And from the get-go, like already, the school bus driver, Otto, he's a he's a fully fleshed out character, you know? And yeah. I, I really love the the dynamic that him and Bart have. I always love, hey, Otto, man. Hey, Bart, dude. You know, they just, <laughs> they seem like they're best buddies. You know, it's cool. Yeah. And even at this early stage, I mean, the voices are still a bit different. I'm, I'm assuming that the same actor is is voicing Otto. But, you know... Otto isn't really sort of playing up the whole Spicoli thing yet, dude. Well, not, no, he's not even Spicoli. It's more like sort of, um, I think he's more like Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong. But uh, in this episode, in episode three of this uh, this first season, he's a bit more sort of like, yeah, man. I mean, he's a... He's like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> a little Keanu Reeves, maybe a little Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. But mm-hmm. yeah, they I don't think many of the actors have really sort of gone broad. It's something you see that happens in a lot of comedies, a lot of TV comedies. You know, initially, you'll see the actors kind of not playing it straight, but they're not playing up too much. And I think you see that with Otto here. He's kind of like, hey, Bart, dude. You know, it's it's not, hey, Bart, dude. It's more like, hey, Bart, dude. 
You know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, well, there's not there's not a lot of difference, but it's um, and you notice it a bit later with Smithers as well. You know, in that first in um, that first time you see Mr. Burns and Smithers, and uh, Smithers just sounds like more like a real person, not kind of like that. You know, he's he's not as um. Yeah, it does. It doesn't have as much personality as what he would go on to become to, to have. Yeah, no, no, they're more sort of like they're playing it a bit more realistic. It's funny you you bring up with with Otto because it's very similar to when now you know got our own podcast talking Seinfeld where we review episodes of Seinfeld and Jason Alexander and Michael Richards they don't go full uh, full Kramer or full George until like the season two. <laughs> they, like, the, the, the characters the characters are there, but particularly with um, with Kramer. It wasn't until we did an episode, I think it was like episode six or seven of season two, that he's finally Kramer. You know, he, he was yeah. the, the 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 framework was there, but now it's fully fleshed out. But um, yeah, but- I th- I think this is actors kind of figuring out, okay, what can I do here? What works? They're basically not they're not flexing their muscles, but they're kind of it's almost like they're sparring. They're sort of figuring out, okay, what can what works, what doesn't? You know, what's my best move here? How can I punch up this line? Whatever, and also. I think, you know, if you've made it to a second season and beyond, you're realising, oh, okay, well, you know, audiences clearly like us and maybe they like this and so they'll play, you know. It's it's like they're at a mixing board or something. They're sort of adjusting various knobs. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So you'll see that as, a, as it goes along. But, uh, yeah, I think that the tendency is to sort of scale it back a little bit to begin with and as you find out what you're comfortable with and what works for you as a performer and also what the audience likes, you're going to sort of ramp things up and fine-tune a few things. And, you know, that's when you sort of start getting... Yeah, you're playing to the back row a little bit more. That's what that's what I think anyway. So Mrs. K puts Bart next to Wendell because that's the only seat left and he doesn't want to have to sit there because he always pukes. Poor old, poor old, poor old Wendell. Wendell. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, class, remember, do not stick any part of your body out the window. We all know the tragic story of the young man who stuck his arm out the window and had it ripped off by a big truck coming in the other direction. And I was that boy. <laughs> Bart Simpson, sit down. Had just about enough of your tomfoolery. There's really good sound design in this as well. I mean, just that whole sound of like kids all sort of chatting to each other on the bus. It's really good Foley work. Oh, that's probably not Foley work. Foley's more sound effects. But I mean, it's really good sort of just... Cacophony of bus noise. It almost took me back to being like a kid and being on a school bus and like, yeah, this is what it sounds like. There's you know twenty different conversations going on, usually at high volume, and um, yeah, it just becomes this kind of semi high pitched white noise. And this is a really good representation of that. It's funny now that I've got a kid in the back seat who talks a lot and carries on a lot in the back. <laughs> uh, Chris Farley is from Billy Madison is now my spirit animal. <laughs> it's a bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Because I, I always thought that Chris Farley and Billy Madison was just overacting. And he does overact. That's the Chris Farley way. But yeah, it's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of kids screaming in the back. Yeah. But anyway, so they... They on their way to the power plant. They drive past the toxic waste dump, the tire yard, the prison. Just even the fact that the prisoners are waving to them, I just like that they're. Yeah. The, oh, that's the thing. They see the, the um. Kids. They see the bus coming. It's like, hey, it's that kid who uh, turned that key that time, <laughs> <laughs> or left left that door open. Come on, back, come back, come back. <laughs> they arrive back at the school. Funny gag, you know, arriving back to where he came from. It's just it's a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. K then threatens Bart that he'll have to sing a song if he doesn't behave himself. Then Sherry Terry's their first appearance. And oh, boy, so evil! Why did I set these guys, these girls up to be bitches? 
<laughs> it is the kind of just evil move that um how old how old is Bart meant to be? Eight? Bart is ten and Lisa is eight. Ten? Okay, yeah. I mean I think at that stage of life you're either you're simultaneously sort of thrilled and terrified by the prospect of a girl kissing you. <laughs> or maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. Um, oh no but, no, um, there, there, there was there was tears. <laughs> yes, but to, but to have yeah Sherry and Terry sort of lean in and yeah give you the double smooch and be like ah yes I would probably be like that as well. <laughs> but uh, I can't remember what age, but you get to that point where when someone gives you a kiss and you don't wipe it off anymore. You know, like you know, True. when you're younger, even your auntie kisses you goodbye, whatever you get, yeah. you wipe it off. And then you get to that mm. point where it's just like, you know, a girl, a friend of yours, whatever, kisses you on the cheek to say goodbye. You don't wipe it off anymore. It's like, oh, she kissed me. <laughs> mm. Hey, <laughs> maybe there's something to this kissing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they give him a kiss. He screams, and then we cue. They're arriving at the power plant, and Bart is in the midst of singing a song. I just love how much. This is what I was going to mention earlier with the with the song. How much he's enjoying himself singing. Oh, yeah. Well, he's John clearly Hill's- sort of... He's taken the tune and he's running with it and basically yeah. making it about himself. It's it's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll admit, I was never a huge sort of Bart guy from the get-go and I think the show was trying to position him as like, you know, America's favourite little guy. Yeah. I was like, eh, I think you're trying a bit too hard with the whole, you know, cowabunga and don't have a cow dude kind of thing. But he's, he's extremely likeable. I think in, certainly in this first sequence, I mean, the whole, as I said before, the whole, and I was that boy, and or, <laughs> you know, and... Um, I even like the fact coming up where, he, where he, they get to the power plant and he goes, hey, Wendell, you made it, man. You know, he's not puke, a dick. But he still, he didn't mean to make him puke. He was supporting you. He was like, well, good on you, dude. You did it, you know? Yeah, except, you know, slaps on the back and then, you know, <laughs> nature takes its course for poor old Wendell. Um, did you ever... Did you ever have? You were a school bus kid, I'm assuming. Were you? Did you ride the school bus? Not. I caught in high school. I would catch the bus home to near my nan's place, and we'd walk to my nan's place and get picked up from there. But for primary school, we literally lived around the corner from the school, so oh, I okay. walked. Yeah. So you probably wouldn't have had much puke, you know, on the on the bus at uh, at that later stage in your life. No. I I vividly recall decades down the line that uh, one day I was. Getting on the bus, uh, this I would have been maybe grade. Hmm, it was either three or five, so I was only young, but I was about to walk up the stairs and saw this person running towards me, and they had clearly had way too much strawberry quick, or they had thrown a little strawberry quick into their cocoa pops that morning because <laughs> they they threw up a great gush of uh, of pink puke. Coming right at me, <laughs> and then and then you froze now, it and put it in chicken nuggets. Oh, and luckily I didn't. I I think I got a little on my sleeve on my on like my arm, but uh, and I was kind of and yeah, that's bad enough. But I was like, oh man, for real? <laughs> 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 Who puts quick in their cocoa pops? You're a madman. <laughs> I do. I do remember that it was really it was bright pink puke. Oh, so um. Yeah, so what this person had been eating, I don't know. The only time I've ever vomited something that was like a bright colour like that was... I'd, do you remember... I think it was once called The Queen's Head, but it became Room 99, the nightclub in Geelong. Oh, yeah. It's now Khan yeah, yeah, Curry yeah. Hut. Great Indian food, cheap and efficient if you want some Indian in Geelong. But mm. I remember whenever I would go to Room 99, they would have these things called Jager Bombs, right? I know that it's still a drink. Or they'd have <laughs> um, Raspberry Smirnoffs, right? But the Raspberry, Smir- <laughs> the raspberry Smirnoffs were only $2 each. 
So it was the cheapest oh. place to go to. Always you get two dollars raspberry Smirnoffs, right? But I would always end up throwing up when I got home from Rue Always. And it was always this <laughs> massive gush of just red liquid, like raspberry Smirnoffs. Then years go by and we find out that the owners of Room 99 were moonshining it. They were making their own vodka and shit and just, oh. re- and just refilling the bottles. Oh, my God. They were like the beer baron. Yes, they, had, like, they were the, the fucking beer baron. But make it, but they make had it, bathtubs full of their own shit. Oh yeah, and that's why I would always throw up because the shit they were making was made at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so yeah, Room 99 is now closed down for obvious reasons, but that's my... I, I, that's the only time I've ever thrown up from drinking was when I'd ever go to Room 99. And yeah, not good. But anyway. Now so we know why. They arrive at the power plant. They walk straight past the security guard. No, Not a care in the world. Reminds me of Ford. We then get our first appearance of Black Smithers. And he shows them the video on nuclear energy. Smiling Joe Fishin. What a great mascot. You know, just trying to sell the fact that nuclear energy is okay. Just what was yeah. it? Um, our He's- no longer misunderstood friend. <laughs> Yeah, the whole true story of nuclear energy. I mean, um, I don't know Smiling Joe Fishin is just so sort of confident in um, in what he's pushing. He really believes the whole nuke message. So, um, and I must admit that vision they have a cool nuclear powered future. I'm like, hmm, yeah, it looks pretty rad. Okay, hmm. I'm I'm in Smiling Joe. Tell me more. I saw this and went, I would totally want a Smiling Joe Fishin pop vinyl. Oh, good idea. Get on them. Get yeah, on it. Let's make it yeah. happen. Uh, so, I did notice here, mid-video, they had Bart sit up, and so you can see his silhouette and Mrs. K saying, Bart, sit down. Mm. I think, because it felt unnecessary, but I think the reason they did that was that, so younger viewers, you can imagine going into the show, writing it, they've gone, Bart needs to be on screen at least once every minute or something. And, <laughs> yeah. and because this was like a minute-long video, they're like, we need to have Bart on screen yes. somehow, just so the kids don't get bored. Yeah. So when Bart and, is not on screen, other characters need to be asking, "Where's Bart?" Basically, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so I think that's the only reason they had Bart <laughs> interfere the video there. Smithers then takes them on a tour of the power plant. They go through the three security doors. I think the last one just says, "Enjoy your visit" or something like that. Tells them to look at the window, which we get to see Blinky just swimming around there. He's a different color at this mm-hmm. point, though. He's not the orange that we know uh, in later later seasons. Then Sherry and Terry hang shit on Homer, saying that their dad says that Bart's dad's no good. And, but I think, what do they say? Like, Homer sits around eating donuts all day, and Bart's like, ah, oh, that's okay. I thought you were putting him down. Yes, then, exactly. But no, that, yeah, Bart's on the ball, man. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, okay. So he gets paid to do that. Who's the loser here? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> who's the chump? Yeah. The one who's sitting around <laughs> doing nothing, or the one who's paying him to do it? <laughs> yeah. Homer is then cut to Homer, then sitting around eating donuts. So we get a random co worker who we never see again. Um, yeah, was, I've written down, who's this arsehole at the coffee machine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, a bit so, of an unpleasant prick. Yeah, he's like, you, you don't want your son to sit around in your ass all day kind of thing. So Homer says, yep, you're right. And he takes off. Bart sees him. Bart's so excited to see his dad at work. And it is cool. I remember going, we had like, you know, go to see your parents at work day or whatever. Seeing mm. your parents at their job, it's like, oh, yeah, like. It was it was almost like because my dad used to run not run the factory but he was one of the supervisors of a place called Candy Footwear in Geelong, in the nineties, mm-hmm. and whenever I would go to work, it was almost like my dad was like not a god but I looked up to him as like he was like a superhero when I was at work because everyone did what my dad said and it wasn't like my yeah. dad was bossing everyone around but my dad was the boss and I just yeah. like looked at my dad and went yeah go dad 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. So I just it just reminded watching this reminded me of going to see go, going to see Dad at work when he was back at Candy Footwear, <laughs> but. So Homer season gets distracted, crashes it, and Sherry and Terry's a good, a, a very funny reveal here of it being Sherry and Terry's dad who fires mm-hmm. Homer. But did you feel really sorry for Homer here? Because I sure as hell did. I mean, he wasn't doing necessarily anything wrong. He was just wanted to show off for his boy, and he was waving yeah. waving to Bart, and he accidentally crashed into it. I mean, it's been it was established that he wasn't a very good worker, but I just felt horrible for, for Homer. I mean, how embarrassing being fired in front of your son and his friends. Oh yeah, that would that would suck. That yeah. would certainly suck. You know, I defy anyone to tell the difference between these donuts and one baked today. Hey, the boy's supposed to be here any second on a field trip. They been through here yet? Come on, Simpson. If they wanted the kids to see you sitting around on your butt and stuff in your face, they'd take them on a tour of your house. You're right. I gotta get where the action is. Coming through. Hey, there's my dad. Hey, Dad! Yo, Homer! Woo-woo, I'm up here! Oh, hi, boy! (laughs) All right, who's responsible for this? I might have known it was you, Simpson. But, sir, I... I want to hear about it, Simpson. You're fired! Oh, hi, girl! Hi, Daddy! So we then come back from commercial. Homer is really sad over the breakfast table and immediately Lisa's, you know, looking for jobs for him, trying to help him. The whole family hype him up, you know. What does Marge say? You know, you've caused many accidents in the past and you always bounce back. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all very bright side. I mean, I, I, think it's a, yeah, I think it's a lovely aspect of this episode how much... Um, how much faith and love they have in Homer. And even when Homer, you know, himself admits, I'm a big worthless nothing. You know, it's like, and I don't know, I mean, everyone who's sort of been out of work for a while or felt that they've sort of lost their purpose occasionally succumbs to that uh, nasty little imp on your shoulder maybe telling you stuff like that. So it's good that he's got his family in his corner and they're all really sort of looking out for him. I think it's lovely. And what we should say here is that if there are any listeners out there who do feel this way, go talk to somebody. Because I felt the same way, I reckon, maybe about, oh, was I just after Holly was born? I wasn't suicidal or anything, but I just felt like I had no purpose. I don't even know why I thought this way. I just did. You know, I just was was in a rut. And talking to yeah. people, it's including yourself, talking to people about it, including the Patreon group, the Patreon the patrons helped me out big time. Um, yeah. just, just talking to people makes you feel a lot better. So if you ever feel like you're struggling, never be embarrassed to admit that you are struggling. Because the best, oh, way to fix, the best way to fix it, your friends and yeah. family out there want to help you. So allow them to. Yeah. it's Talking about it is like drawing poison out of a wound. And the more that you talk about it, the more po- the more poison gets drawn out. I mean, look, your friends, your family, by all means, talk to them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they are more than happy to listen, more than happy to provide good advice. If you feel it runs deeper than that, by all means, track down a professional. I mean... Yeah, coming up close to 10 years ago, now I, now I sort of like a minor midlife crisis kind of deal. A lot of stuff that I hadn't really acknowledged in my life was kind of not crashing in, but uh, closing in a bit. And um, a good friend of mine said, I think you're struggling and I think you need to talk to someone. Uh, she recommended a person that I saw for about 10 weeks or so. I mean, look, there was no you know sort of deep underlying issue or anything like that I just had a lot of stuff that I hadn't really processed properly uh speaking to someone 
who was qualified, empathetic, all that good stuff, uh, really helped me sort it out in, in ways that were very, very positive. And um, look, I'm, I'm loath to say, yeah, I'm cured. But I mean, it really helped me sort of pull myself out of that particular rut. So um, look, each person's case, if you're feeling a bit down or a bit low or depressed or what have you, it's as individual as your fingerprints and your cure is going to be, or your solution is going to be different. But um, talking is certainly uh, one of the main ways to uh, yeah, clean up your act, so to speak. <laughs> one thing I've learned from talking to people is if you, if you actually feel like you're struggling and you, you're going through something that you can't quite work out yourself, going and talking to people about it, you actually find out that a lot of your friends are probably going through the same thing as well. And they'll actually benefit from talking to you about it. And by talking, when you once you realize that you're not alone, you're not the only one struggling with it, it makes you feel so much easier to talk about it going forward. Because absolutely, it's yeah, it's once you realize, like I said, once you realize you are not alone, that's the first step mm. to getting better. Because for yeah. me, I felt like I was alone. I felt like I was struggling with something that no one knew how to fix. I didn't think it could be fixed. But then I, I think I posted the patron group that I was struggling a bit. And all the patrons commented saying they're going through mm. similar things and explaining their situations. And it just made me feel so much better. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, Homer. You'll find a job. You've caused plenty of industrial accidents and you've always bounced back. Yeah, Dad, you can do it. Yeah, go for it, Dad. You're right. I'm young, I'm able-bodied, and I'll take anything. Watch out, Springfield. Here I come. Don't give up, Dad. That's a very neat gag. That's yes. a very good gag. The fact that the last the last door gets slammed in his face is, in fact, his own. Um, but uh, yeah, with a nice little sort of "don't give up" message at the end. That's no, good. We then get to Western Saloon Mo's. We've still the old saloon doors there. Hasn't quite got a front door yet. Mm-hmm. And we get the first prank call of IP Freely, and also a a, a dark haired Mo. I mean, that's a it's a very different looking Mo. Yeah, well, not very yeah. different, but. Um, Certainly, the hair looks a bit sort of more jet black than usual. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, by this point, you know, we're three episodes into the revisited. It's like you just got to be aware that the characters going to look different. They're going to sound different. It's the first season, you know. Oh a, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people, I find will say, "I don't watch the first season because it just looks shit." And I'm like, "Yeah, but the stories are pretty fucking good." <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's not a direct comparison, but that's not that's like not listening to the first Beatles album or something. Mouse Tavern. Is Mr. Freely there? Oh. Freely. First initial is IP. Hold on, I'll check. Uh, is IP Freely here? Hey, everybody, IP Freely. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Listen to me, you lousy bums. When I get a home to you, you're dead. I swear I'm gonna slice your heart in half. <laughs> You'll get that punk someday, Mo. Oh, I don't know. It's tough to catch. He keeps changing his name. Mo, I think I'll have another... Whoops. Mo, I'm a little low on funds. You think you could cover me just this once? No. Sorry. Why not? I think after all these years, I deserve an explanation. I don't think you're ever going to get another job and be able to pay me back. Oh. Don't worry. We're still friends. So Homer and Marge are then in bed and Marge is explaining, maybe it's time I go back to work. You know, my old boss said that I can always come back whenever. I've always thought this was such a random 
cutaway. It felt it's almost like Family Guy esque. Marge just with the um with the roller skates on as a waitress. Yeah, it does feel a bit sort of you're right, random. No, no, it's nice to get an insight into what Marge's life was like and all that kind of business. But uh, yeah, I get the feeling you yeah, you could have saved a few seconds in this episode by excising that. But anyway, nice but to see Marge on wheels. They, they they needed it though to sort of explain the Homer saying. I can't let Marge have to. I won't let Marge be the one to support the family. I need to do something about it. You know, <laughs> felt later in the episode. But the kids are trying to wake up Homer here. He's just in a trance. He's just he's almost at rock bottom yet. Not quite there. Trying to wake him up. So Homer Bart does what Bart would do. Takes advantage of the old guy. Gets into Sonny's Sonny's. What was the form? <laughs> something to do with school. Yeah, yeah. They then transition. Uh, with Homer. I really like this transition here. So Homer was laying on the couch, the kids walk away and it cuts to him in the middle of the night watching the, the TV station for unemployed people and <laughs> coming up, how to win the lottery. <laughs> we then get a commercial for Duff. Uh, yeah, don't fall into the Duff, Duff trap, dude. Don't no, do it. No, but it is a temporary solution, as he points out. Goes into the fridge, finds the cake, which was really sweet, as you discussed earlier, but he doesn't want cake. He wants beer. He wants beer right now. I um, mean, it's money to go buy a beer because there's none in the fridge. Steals Bart's piggy bank, smashes it, realizes there's just a few quarters in there or whatever, a few cents, and this is rock bottom. Dear family, I am an utter failure, and you'll be better off without me. By the time you read this, I will be in my watery grave. I can only leave you with the words my father gave me. Stand tall, have courage. And never give up. I only hope I can provide a better model in death than I did in life. Warmest regards, love, Homer J. Simpson. Now I've got here, it's a bit much that he's gone to suicide, but as you outlay to me, I'm thinking more your way now that he has hit rock bottom. It's only 22 minutes. They can't show a long downward spiral. You just have yeah. to accept it for what it is and he's at rock bottom and yeah, it's pretty... Well, it's a bu- it, there's a bunch of stuff that they sort of pack into a, into a short time. The fact that he has been trying for a job, can't find one. Um, he's sort of... Not that he's persona non grata at his local watering hole, but, you know, he doesn't fit there because he can't afford beer anymore. I mean, they don't hate him, but it's like, well... If you can't pay for your beer, then why are you here? His wife is saying, I'll go back to work, which is kind of... It's not emasculating, but, you know, many dudes can sort of view it in that way. It's it's supportive. It's not emasculating, but, you know, men may view it as such. Yeah, and then he's sort of, you know, reduced to late-night TV where they're sort of pushing beer and, uh, and lottery tickets on you. It is kind of a... Not four seasons in one day, but it's it's a very condensed kind of um, uh, representation of a downward spiral into depression. Yes, yep, yep. And they do tackle depression, I think, in a much better way, more thought out and thoughtful way in Moaning Lisa in an, an upcoming episode, which yes, I, still, I, still, yeah. I still say is one of the fucking best Lisa episodes of all time. It's so great. It is indeed. I think this episode had to walk so that episode could run. Yes, definitely. Well put. As they say. So he yeah, so he's he's written a suicide note. A very nice touch in this in this note, by the way. One that I oh, sniffed back a little bit of oh that's nice. He's ri- he's signed it warmest regards, crosses that out, love Homer J. Simpson. And mm-hmm. thought, yeah, yes, that's that's 
very sweet. Yes. He then ties the rock around his waist. <laughs> Where did he get that rock from? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's red and boulder. Um, yeah, but he goes, he walks down, as I said, fixes the, the squeaky gate. One uh, really nice shot here. He turns around, has one last look at the house and sobs, mm. walks down the street. Nothing's easy. <laughs> <laughs> we come back and the, uh, I those, didn't those like too old. I didn't like this. Those fucking old, old people. Mother, what a cold oldies, man. <laughs> well, they're, they're just, yeah, they're cruel. I think yeah, old Simpson's going to go kill himself. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they're laughing about it. Ugh, horrible people. But yeah, so the kids then wake. They think they've been robbed because the piggy bank's smashed and they find the note. Cuts to Homer on the bridge. <laughs> he gets annoyed that he almost gets hit. Then the family arrive just in time before he jumps off and gets superhuman strength, saves the family from being hit by a car. And this is where he gets the epiphany. It's time to increase safety in Springfield. And this street needs a street sign, a stop sign. And a light bulb goes off. Goes off and I just don't think quite in this episode they had enough focus on... I don't think he has to necessarily say sorry, but he doesn't ever acknowledge that... Okay, it's like just it's just fobbed off. He was about to kill himself. And then Marge says, how could you do this to your family? We, we, we love you. And he just goes, kill myself? I would never kill myself. And it's like, you, you, you were about to kill yourself. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just seems like a really heavy subject and a really heavy action You know, to go from... No job to killing yourself to, oh no, I was never going to do that. It just, it just, it just, they gloss over well, it a little bit too much. But again, well, I, th- I think when you, when, and again, I mean, I don't want to uh, sort of downplay anyone's sadness or depression or anything like that. But I think there are times, you know, if you if you've been in a funk and sort of an ongoing one or something like that, when you when you do sort of snap out of it sometimes you do literally snap out of it i was like that I mean, with bulimia. i just snapped out of it so, yeah. sometimes sometimes you ease your way out of it and sometimes it's just like oh, wait a minute why was i feeling like that i feel like this now you know and um yeah so it can be very much a um a 180 degree kind of um kind mm. of turn yeah. so um yeah so i don't know maybe that's the case and also look let's just you know Let's just keep it tight for for storytelling purposes, because you know I think we're in we're approaching the third act, so we'd better. Hey, wrap it up, hurry it up. <laughs> just, the episode's already as sad enough as it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we're now at City Hall, and Homer is going to try and get a stop sign put at the corner of D Street and Twelfth. Before then, mm. Wiggum gives us all an update on Albato. Yes, because we see another little Albato um, yeah. outside the courthouse, and which I thought was just you know. A nice little bit of visual texture, and then uh, and then Clancy mentions it. I'm like, oh, okay, it's playing into the story. It's not yeah. just uh, not just there for set decoration. Okay, <laughs> the artist sketch of Bart, pretty badass, isn't it? Oh, that's how I'd want my police sketch to look. <laughs> uh, so Homer succeeds, and he's now got his wish, but he's not going to stop there. And this is where we get the various newspaper headlines of him just going sign crazy, doesn't he? He does indeed. Now. Dando, you and I recorded a commentary for this episode. We did. Uh, I think fa- I think fairly early into um, my arrival on the four finger discount scene. And one thing I do remember about that was me being a pretentious wanker and talking a bit about what I thought this uh, something that inspired this episode. And it's a um, a Japanese film from the nineteen fifties by the great Akira Kurosawa um, called Ikiru. The title, uh, the translation of which is loosely "To Live," and it's about a sort of a 
schlubby middle-aged biz- uh, salary man type of guy, white-collar dude who's never really sort of done much with his life. His family doesn't respect him all that much. Uh, and he discovers that he has um, terminal cancer and uh, decides to sort of spend his last days um, fixing up this... Um, it used to be a playground. It's sort of fallen into disrepair and become a bit bit toxic and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, well, if I don't do anything else with my life, I can fix this, you know, and, um, you know, for the kids. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very, very sweet movie. I mean, it's... Um, you don't expect it to have the sort of emotional sucker punch that it does, even despite the fact that it's got, you know, a bit of a... Uh, what sounds like a treacly kind of storyline, but it's awfully, awfully well made. And... Honestly, yeah, rewatching Homer's Odyssey, that's what, oh, well, this is a bit like Akiru. So if you can track it down, folks, which um, I don't know, it's probably hard to do these days because, I don't know, 50 to, <laughs> 50 to 17 year, year old Japanese movies aren't exactly showing on, on Netflix, but uh, it's one that I highly recommend. Okay. Why did they make yourself a pretentious wanker? Why did they make yourself a pretentious wanker? Yeah, because I like to call myself a pretentious wanker every once in a while. Oh, I, oh, I do like to call you one, yes. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I'm sorry that wasn't me. That was Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Mitch. <laughs> uh, so I did like the newspaper headline where it's like there's a sign that says "Sign Ahead." <laughs> 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 the park is now full of signs. Homer is exhausted. The family is still proud of him, though. But Homer points out that he wants to take on one last foe, and it's a great mm. visual, great music cue as well, pointing to the power plant, the big evil power plant. Yeah. Ah, uh, what a great family. But come on, we all know this is small potatoes. There's a danger in this town that is bigger than all the dips put together. What, Dad? I'm talking about that. You don't mean you're going to take on your old bosses? Wow. Gee, Dad's a hero. What'd you say, son? Nothing. That's okay. I'll just assume you said what I thought I heard you say. The crowd are then all gathered with Homer, like a little rally. They, they, as the guy's introducing Homer, they cheer the fact that he goes, you know, he's responsible for this sign. Yay! And for this sign. Yay! And for the speed limit on Main Street. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> and we get the introduction to Burns overseeing the proceedings. Homer here, unlike most of you, I am not a nut. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Burns here, he sees something in, in Homer, tells with us to go get him up here right now. Homer is still talking to the crowd, and uh, I, I've just got here. I know I said I wouldn't point out the animation, but it has to be pointed out. This crowd is one of the worst drawn crowds in the history of the series. <laughs> it is bad. It's like Matt Groening's kids drew it. It's terrible. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, one one other thing I sort of appreciated about well, the visuals are a bit a bit dodgy, but one thing I did appreciate was homer's at this stage where he's very um he's the man of the people he's a bit of a hero and all that kind of stuff he's still homer though you know and this big speech he's giving is kind of self-serving you know he's um he's sort of big upping himself a bit he's not doing it too obviously but he is kind of well he's kind of obvious when he says unlike most of you i am not a nut but (laughs) um all that kind of he's he's very much kind of like i know i'm your hero and all this kind of business like yeah, that's that's Homer. <laughs> you know, he's he's operating from a yeah, you know, he's operating from good intentions and you know, and, and a pure motive and all that kind of stuff. But he's still kind of like, still thinks he's pretty great, or he thinks he's pretty great as a result. But he would never sort of say, 
he wouldn't be so obvious about it, but, you know, he's kind of alluding to the fact that, like, yes, I know I'm great. He goes up, Smithers comes against him, he goes back up and talks to Burns, and Burns sees something in, like I said, and make, wants him, because he, he can't have Homer going around saying that the, the plant's unsafe, so he tries to use Homer, but Homer doesn't buy it. Mm, what the hey, I'll take the job. Excellent. Your first duty will be to step out on the balcony and tell that crowd this plant is safe. What? Go on, Homer. Homer, 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 Homer. Ladies and gentlemen, this plant is... I can't do it, Mr. Burns. You mean you're willing to give up a good job and a raise just for your principles? Hmm. When you put it that way, it does sound a little far-fetched. But that's the look you're looking at. And I vow to continue spending every free minute I have crusading for safety. Of course, I'd have a lot less of those free minutes if you gave me the job. Hmm. You're not as stupid as you look, or sound, or our best testing indicates. You've got the job. Now get to work. So what I liked about this was that Homer stood his ground. You know, he didn't just fall for Burns' trap and and go out there and tell the people that, you know, the plan is safe and go against his morals. No, he fucking, he stood up to him. And as a result, he got what he wanted at the end anyway. Indeed. I think the thing I liked about it most was, it was one of my favourite bits. I forgot to mention it earlier, but um, Burns saying, at last we meet. Same here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone in the world, or at least 99.8% of the people in the world, have had some occasion when, you know, someone said something to you and you've made the nice response, but it's the wrong response. You know, like someone says, hey, good morning. It's like, oh, damn. Well, now I can't think of it. Hey, good morning. Hey, yeah, good, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, that's... (laughs) Yeah. Good morning. Thanks a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not wrong, but it's not appropriate. <laughs> but this is completely wrong, but I really enjoyed it. I, and and you're right. I mean, I do like that Homer sort of stands his ground and gets what he wants, but he also is displaying a very Homer-esque short attention span. It's like, you know, he's like a cheap radio sort of switching from station to station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, man, he suits nice and clean. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so Homer takes the job. Goes out and says farewell to everybody. Everyone's proud of him because he's now the safety inspector. It's a mighty fall at the end there, isn't it? Lands on the crowd, thankfully. Yeah. I think we're going to ignore the physical impossibility yes, yeah. of, of that crowd catch. Yeah, um. definitely. <laughs> but um, he gets carried away and happily ever after. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, I, I think I was more negative on this episode going into the review. Not negative on it, but just sort of, eh, it's just one of those episodes that's just there. There's not really all that much to it. But you've you've swum me around, and I uh, I think getting back to the whole point of it's just twenty two minutes. You can you can't you can only fit so much in. Yeah. If you look at it from that perspective, they do a good job. I mean, if you put aside the fact that I still think that it was a little bit rushed, him going to suicide, but mm-hmm. still, it's for the story to work. They need to get the story flowing, and I still think it took balls to tackle that subject in episode three of a new. F- kids show you know yeah yeah i mean i think the other thing is 
I mean, we're talking about 1990 here, and I mean, I'm not. It's not that long ago in the in the scheme of things, but I think in just just just, just so you're aware, I wasn't even two yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> feel so old. Um, but in terms of arts and entertainment, and you know, and and comedy in particular, there's sort of a, a, a bit of a tradition of people standing on ledges or standing on bridges and thinking about ending it all. And it's not necessarily a, you know, um, a deep and meaningful statement about life is worth living and suicide is not the solution, all that kind of stuff. It's really just more of a dramatic device. I think in 2021, we are a bit more cognizant of mental illness, stress upon people and how some people will, yeah, sort of take that very final dramatic step and... So we're not as sort of light about it anymore. Not that not that we were sort of light about it back then, but I mean, yeah, I think it's it it's been commonly used as kind of a device of like it, it's basically a shorthand for saying shit's bad for our hero. For some reason, I thought you, I just thought you were not going to be very big on this episode. I thought it would have bothered you, but now I'm I'm, I'm glad no. you didn't because that's always I always pre- I'm always in a better mood when you're enjoying the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Um, no, look, I, I, like I said before, I mean, look, it's, it's, I don't want to draw too direct an analogy between, say, early Beatles or any early great band or even the early work of any sort of, like, great filmmaker or great artist or whatever. But, um, you know, you stack this up against Golden Age Simpsons or Vintage Simpsons or whatever, and, you know... It's, it's not as good as the best episodes, but um, it shows that they were on the right track from the very beginning. Or, you know, they were confident and secure and interested in what they were doing. So, um, yeah, I, I respect it for that ways. And look, I, I do get a few laughs about it. I get a few... It, it hits a lot of the right emotional notes for me. It makes me laugh in some ways, makes me sort of... Um, uh, it's poignant in some way, in some other ways, and um, I don't know. It it does a, it it does a lot of things right this episode, which is yeah one of the reasons that I that I appreciate it. What did we learn, Palmer? So what did you learn for the episode, Mister Davis? If you must uh, jump off a bridge into a river, find a rock there. Don't carry it. Don't carry one all the way. It'll just make the process all the all the more depressing for you. That's exactly what I had. But my my point was just, <laughs> my, my, my point was call an Uber. <laughs> Take me to Suicide Bridge. <laughs> okay, but it's surge prices. Uh, nothing's easy. <laughs> From this day forward, your names will be. Alrighty, so it is now time for the new names. Let's get up the current new name leaderboard for the revisited episodes. Alrighty, so in third position, on one point, we have Neil Parks. A tie for second. Uh, t- second position is D.L. Gorman. And a tie for first position, all on three points, is Jade Fairley, Garode Harrahill, and Phil Hawkins. All right, take it away, Mr. Davis. Okay, then. A couple of honourable mentions before we uh, get into gold, silver, and bronze. How we have Joseph three people o- on three points, I'm not exactly sure, because we've only sent the third episode, but I'm going with it. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> We're not good at maths here, people. So, um, uh, Joseph O'Hara gave us Judas and the Blacksmithers. <laughs> I don't know. Little shout out to the movie that um, won Daniel Kaluuya his best uh, supporting actor Oscar earlier in the week, or you know, 
a little while ago, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Philip Hawkins uh, gave us in depression. No, sorry, what is it? In depression domes and the signpost crusade. It's a little wordy, but um, you know he fit dough in there, so that's good. I mean, he fit a lot of good stuff in there, so nice one, Philip. But three, two, one, one point goes to Sean DV, um, and of course, um, I'm going to pick this one because it's smiling dough fishing. Very good. I mean, we've, we've now learnt, listeners, that if you want to get on guys uh, getting these good books, just include Smiling Joe Fishing in some way. <laughs> yes, indeed. If it, even if that character has nothing to do with the episode, um, just slot him in there and, you know, points are guaranteed. <laughs> Not a guarantee. Um, two points to Garode Harahill for nuclear and present danger. Ooh, not bad at all. Mm. But... Three points, and they're making a comeback because this is a person we have not seen uh, in the new titles challenge for a little while. D.L. Gorman. D.L. has returned. Now, whether D.L. is just showing up for this particular episode, um, who can tell? They, you know, D.L. may be sort of like sitting in their, um, you know, um, their uh, mysterious island base or, you know, secret Arctic lair because DL is, of course, the international person of mystery. Um, but DL has given us two good ones uh, this time around. Campaign and Suffering. Oh, very and, good. And the one that I thought sort of took him over, oh, took them over the top, pardon me, DL. Um, don't give up. <laughs> you love your don'ts, don't you? You don't. <laughs> I do, I do. And if you fold it in in a way that's relevant to the episode, and this certainly was, then, um, hey, you've earned those three points. You certainly you have, have this time, DL. Alrighty. So, who was the one point again? By the way, for this one. One point was Sean Devey. Sean Devey. Alrighty. So, current leaderboard stands at this. On one point, we have Neil Parks and Sean Devey. Uh, and mm-hmm. on two points, we have uh, sorry, on th- uh, three points each, tied in second position, we have Phil Hawkins and Jade Fairley. And tied now in first position, it's the the deadly duo, the Basham brothers. Or, no, we don't know about DL yet, but DL and Garod Harahill both on five points. Well done, everybody. Congratulations. DeVille! DeVille is here! Ooh! All right, Mr. Davis, it's now time for the mailbag for Homer's Odyssey. Let's jump into it and see what we can find. Well, we're running low on time, so we'll just do one question here. This one comes from Pat Wright, our man, all Mm. the way from Canada. He says, Have either of you had a moment that was truly life-changing? He had a moment during a snowstorm where he did a 180-degree turn on the highway and his car turned off. He basically came to grips with dying. Uh, he had cars coming at him as he's facing the oncoming traffic with nowhere to go and people not being able to stop. So he just took a deep breath, turned his car back on and managed to turn around. It was terrifying. I can imagine that would have been terrifying. It is terrifying. I'm a little scared reading it or yeah. listening to it. Brian Hughes also contributed. He said... Uh, Brian had a similar moment of clarity. He used to work in a warehouse that stocked custom vinyl windows, among other things. He was at the top of the ancient rollaway staircase when he tried to walk down. His body stayed still when the stairs proceeded to roll behind him. He fell about eight feet into a pile of six by three custom windows. He would have been cut to ribbons by falling through the several glass panes. Luckily, each of his hands and feet landed perfectly on the corners of the vinyl frame and caught wow. himself nose to glass. The idea Jesus. of death has never been the same since. Wow, wait. This is some scary shit. Incredible stories. Yeah. 
Uh, Brian says it's only scary in retrospect. He also flipped the car over a river and has been threatened with a gun three times, all before the age of 20. Since then, he is also too close for comfort for three terrorist attacks. Wow, wait, he was an eyewitness of the World Trade Center, 9-11. Good Lord, Brian. He was at Heathrow Airport the next morning after the 2005 London bombings, Mm -hmm. and he was near Boston during the marathon bombings manhunt. Wow. Goodness gracious me, okay. Brian. That would be terrifying. I, I think I think any story that Dando or I could provide under under the under such circumstances or following that up, I think we're <laughs> We're like that juggler. I'm I'm using the Beatles a lot this episode. We're the juggler who had to follow the Beatles on on the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, but my, ah, my how do I, I follow that? The closest I've ever felt like I was going to die. And having said that, I mean it's not even it's not even just that. I mean it's a moment that's truly life changing. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, no, but but means, yeah. I'll, I'll say my, my car crash story, and you can t- you can enlighten us with a more positive story. But I remember, and my life has always never been the same since because you know when you in Geelong we have angle parking, right? And mm-hmm. so you can understand what I'm saying. It's Jerringham Street, four lane street. I was angle oh, yeah. parked, right? I reversed out into the left lane, and. Uh, when I looked in my rear vision mirror as I was reversing out, the lights were red. So I thought that I would do a U-turn, right? Across the two middle lanes onto the other side, if you know what I mean. So I'm in the left lane. I've reversed out into the left lane. I'm going to do a U-turn across the the second left lane and onto the right-hand side of the road and go the other direction. In the meantime of me reversing out and looking in the mirror and seeing no cars coming, the car has come around the corner, seen me reversed out into the left lane and thought ah, fuck this guy, I'm going to overtake him, not knowing that I was going to do a U-turn, even though I was doing an illegal U-turn. It was my fault completely. So I start doing the U-turn, and at the last second, I look to my right and see this car coming directly towards my driver's side door, and I actually thought I was I thought I thought was dead. I literally thought, Ooh. they say your life flashes before your eyes. It genuinely did. I thought I was, I thought I was dead. And it hit, the car turned just enough that they hit me they hit me right on the frame of like the doorway. So my door bent in over my lap. So I was left with no nothing above me, just the frame of my door across my lap. It like and it did but it didn't squash me. It just bent over me. Someone was looking out for me that day. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And I was driving a Hyundai XL. Like that thing should have folded up like a cardboard box. But no, they <laughs> hit me. Must have hit me right in the sweet spot. The door collapsed, folded over me. Didn't hit my head. It missed my like it missed my face. It bent over my lap. You know, oh man, so lucky. Yeah. So I've just wow. now whenever I do reverse out of an angle park, I've, I've I don't think I've ever done a U turn since. I'm too I'm just too scared to do it. Yeah. This story is probably going to seem a little inconsequential and a bit of a non-event compared to these other stories that we've been uh, we've, we've been discussing. But I don't know. It was kind of a wake up call slash reminder slash lesson. Um, I mentioned a little earlier that a few years back I had sort of, yeah, this midlife crisis kind of thing. I was feeling very anxious and very sad a lot of the time. But I also, I was on a business trip um, and it was a very nice business trip. It actually took me to Italy. So I'm on this flight. I've landed at Paris. I've got to sort of make my way from one end of Charles de Gaulle Airport to the other. It's very long. I've missed my flight that takes me to, um, to Florence, Italy. So I'm in a country where I'm running on very little sleep. I don't speak the language. I mean, of course they speak English, but it's very sort of broken English. Plus they're French, so they're kind of arrogant. Um, <laughs> we just lost every French subscriber. 
you guys know you're a bit arrogant. And guess what? It's justified. You guys are fantastic. But uh, in the end, I've made, and you know, and there are other people waiting for me at the um, at the end uh, at my final destination. Uh, my batteries are running low. I don't know how I'm going to reach them. All this kind of bit. It felt like everything in the world was kind of conspiring against me, and I was not feeling on top of the world to begin with. Um, eventually, I'm on this tiny little plane. Um, it's cold. I can feel sort of like cold air rushing through the plane. I'm like, God, I'm on some rickety plane. Just feeling more and more like <laughs> just not great. And the not great feeling was increasing, increasing, increasing. And then something just sort of snapped into focus in my head and said, all right, well, there's not much you can do about this except, well, what can you do about this? You're cold, your jacket's up in the thing, go get it, put it on, wrap yourself up. Um, you're feeling a bit kind of, I don't know, anxious. There's a there's music you like on your iPod, play it, you know, get yourself in a different state of mind. And, you know, within about 10 minutes, you know, the circumstances around me hadn't changed, but my view of them had changed and I could feel myself starting to gain confidence feel better and by the time I landed in 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 Florence you know I got a cab I made my way to the hotel I made my way to the restaurant where uh, the people I was meeting were I had a lovely glass of red wine a small plate of pasta and I felt 100% better and I think back to that time a lot and think well I can't change what's happening but I can change the way I view it and the way I react to it and I've tried to sort of employ that ever since when I've been in sort of situations that feel overwhelming or overpowering. Because, you know, there's not much that's broken that can't be fixed. That's that's my take on it. Yeah, if you're able to. I mean, a lot of people complain. If you're that, able they, to. They, they, people yeah, are, like, they yeah. complain about they complain about their jobs. They complain that a friend of theirs isn't the person they used to be or whatever. If you don't like something, do something about it. I mean, you, you, yeah. you said some... I mean... Some people can't fix things. You know, you might be in a situation where you can't leave your job because you need that money. That's that's fine. But if you're in a position to do something about it, fucking do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't don't let life take over. You know, you can make the yeah. choice. For example, myself, yeah. right? In January, I looked in the mirror. I hated what I looked at, what I saw in the mirror. I wasn't by any means obese, but for my own mental health, I was not happy. I looked very, yeah. very. I looked really out of shape, and it was playing my mental health. I was becoming. I was a real, not a. Not a mean person, but I had a very short fuse and I was yelling at Elliot a lot more and I was Nicola and I were bickering about things we would not normally bicker about. I was just becoming hard to live with. So I just went, No, time to make a change and I started, you know, eating a bit better. Still have takeaways from time to time. I had takeaway tomorrow night. Um, I still, you know, but what I do now is I, I exercise more and I just I've made time. I always use the excuse, I haven't got time, you know, got the podcast, full-time job, looking after the kids, I haven't got time. Now I just make the time and I did something about it and now I'm so much better for it. I'm much happier. You know, I'm I'm fitting into the clothes I haven't been able to fit into in years. I'm a, I personally feel I'm a much better husband and father to Elliot and Holly and just I'm really in I'm I'm in a very positive space right now because I did something about it. So that's the thing. Not you can't you can't fix everything or maybe some situations can't be wholly fixed. But, you know, alterations can be made and some major changes can be made. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, get in the driver's seat. Don't be a passenger. Now, I'm going to end this podcast on a real positive note. So, I just Ooh. mentioned that tomorrow night is takeaway night. And tomorrow night mm-hmm. is takeaway night because tomorrow marks the 10-year anniversary of Nicola Dixon meeting Brendan Dando. Oh, celebrate good times. Come on. 
Yeah, 10 years to the exact day that we first laid eyes on each other. How delightful. Yes. Congratulations so we- to, uh, to you crazy kids, and uh, what kind of a special takeaway are you getting to celebrate this momentous occasion? Um, we, Nicola has requested we go out for a Thai meal, so we're going to go out to Lom Thai. Hmm, very nice. Yes, very we, went, nice. we went out for Indian for our, was it, even a, was it a wedding anniversary? No, was it, what did we go It was, for? yes. I believe so. No, we went out to, we went to Parker's for our wedding anniversary. I think we just went out for a date night recently. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure there was a reason for something. Oh, I don't know. But um, but yes, yeah, so it's a 10-year anniversary. So I like to think that the listeners have sort of followed our relationship on, a, on the journey that it's been on because they, we've been going for almost six years now. It'll be six years in May that we started the show, uh, Mitch wow. and myself. So you've been look, through the highs and the lows of our relationship. You, you were there when we got... Uh, hmm. And you weren't there when we got married, were you? No, you weren't there. We were newlyweds. But you were there when we announced Ali being born or being mm-hmm. uh, Nicola being pregnant and Ali being born. You were there when... Holly was announced, and then she was born, and new jobs, and yeah, it's been a good ride. So thank you for joining me on that, and now we get a whole new ride with the incredible Mr. Guy Davis, which I cannot wait, I just cannot wait for it, to go back and revisit all these old episodes with you, Mr. Davis. Oh, I'm looking forward to it, Mr. Dando. All right, but thank you guys once again for all your ongoing support. The show would not be here if it wasn't for you guys, particularly you guys, the patrons. Like, you are, like, you guys keep the lights on here. We thank you so much. The fact that you've stuck with us through a pandemic cannot thank you enough you're all absolute legends every single one of you and everyone who still listens to the show thank you so much for just sticking with us it's been like i said nearly six years now you're still listening to us you're still sharing the show and getting new listeners writing in each and every week you're all absolute legends i love each and every one of you but for now mr davis any final words for said incredible listeners yes unlike most of them i am not a nut Shh.